So welcome to the Courage to Podcast, where each episode I have the privilege of having a conversation with someone who exemplifies living a life of courage. And my hope is that through hearing these stories that you as a listener will also be encouraged. And to be encouraged literally means to give heart or strength. So as we start this next episode, I hope that by the end, you as a listener will have received strength and heart uh, as you continue to live your life of courage as well. So today I have the joy and privilege of talking with Gabby Thiessen. So Gabby, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So we're going to be diving into the courage to leadership, which is a massive Mm -hmm. conversation and it could go in so many different directions. But um, before we dive into that, can you just give Mm -hmm. us a sense of who you are, um, Mm -hmm. what you do, your family, um, also, as like a little caveat, uh, your husband, Calvin, was on the podcast a couple yeah. episodes ago, so I yes, yes. have heard a little bit about you, but give us a sense of who you are to start us off. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm the type of person that if someone asks where you're from, has a hard time answering because I'm a third culture kid. Um, so I was born in Bolivia and grew up in Mexico and then in Michigan when I was a teenager. My parents are from the Midwest in the U.S. Um, and they were working with the navigators in Latin America. So that is a big part of my identity is that having grown up cross-culturally um, and then since graduating from university, uh, I've been working overseas pretty much. Uh, since 1999. So uh, it's a long time of of being in different places. And I think that's a, a big theme of my life is uh, being a an alien, <laughs> resident alien in different places. And I really like it <laughs> because um, there's so much to learn uh, with being in a different place and uh, with people who see the world differently than you do. Do you you find that the more that you've lived other places, the easier it's gotten to be a quote unquote like alien in other places? Does that get easier? um, There are some things that are easier. You sort of know how you handle it, but easy, you know, you're more familiar with how you manage, what things are stressful, um, how to, um, you know, go to the Lord when things happen. uh, things like that. Uh, some things that are harder is that with more and more time, I think being away from extended family, from my parents, um, both of us from siblings and their families as they have children and they grow, um, you know, that becomes harder, especially we have three of our own kids, as Calvin, I'm sure, shared, um, and seeing them not know their extended family quite as much as um, you know you would sort of hope. Um, that is a, that is a harder thing about uh, this kind of life. Um, but at the same time, I know for myself and for our kids, they're gaining a, a perspective on the world that is is very valuable and will go with them for the rest of their life. I I am very grateful to my parents for their courage, <laughs> since you're talking about courage, <laughs> their courage in going to a different place um, and being willing to do that and uh, having given, given me uh, that heritage of uh, cross-culturally. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing. 
Yeah, and I think that would be, you know, if you're asking you know, me to give you a sense of who I am, I think that's a big part of it is uh, this cross-culturalness. Uh, we lived for many years in the Caucasus, um, and now we've been in Albania for three and a half years. Uh, we have been working the whole time with Wycliffe Bible Translators and the sister organization, SIL International. Um, but we're sort of on loan as consultants to another organization to do training of other cross-cultural workers, um, mostly from Latin America. So this is where I feel God is bringing things full circle. My Spanish had been dormant for a long time <laughs> because of, you know, it wasn't necessary in the, in the context where we were before. But then it's I'm having to resurrect it. Um, and I'm enjoying immensely getting to know the people that we train who are from all over uh, Latin America and realizing that even my experience in Mexico is just a small aspect of what Latin America is and all its variety and all the cultures that are represented. So I'm really enjoying learning from the people that I'm, that I'm working with, that I'm mentoring. So... Uh-huh. Yeah. How many languages do you speak? <clears throat> uh, to various degrees, seven. Wow. Uh, but uh, there are some that uh, I would be hard-pressed to try and put more than two sentences together. But then there are others that, yeah, are much more, um, yeah, I'm much more comfortable. And uh, the one I'm learning now, obviously, is Albanian. So uh, I'm working on learning that and have a wonderful teacher um a lady who's helping me with that so wow um, the the yes. more languages that you learn do you find there are certain patterns across the languages to make it easier to learn or are some uh -huh. languages just so different there's a great variety there's okay. a huge variety this is something that amazes me about how god has made people uh, that just as there are so many differences in people's appearance and personality, etc., just seeing the the incredible variety in languages is quite amazing, you know. And with Wycliffe, that that is their field is languages, and um, so even hearing from colleagues about their experiences has been very um, very interesting. Um, you know, that said, you you do figure out how you learn languages also and the things that help you, and that's been helpful. The other thing is it, learning languages that are sort of in the same region. You start, there are a lot of borrowings, and so you start to recognize, oh, that's a word from, for example, with Albanian, that I didn't realize how many Turkish borrowings they have. And, of course, languages that we've learned also have uh, those kind of words. So um, I'm, it, it helps because <laughs> there's a lot of vocabulary that I already recognize. You know? hmm. I always feel like such a wimp when people tell me they speak multiple languages because I'm like, I speak <laughs> English. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm missing out when I don't understand other languages, but it would be such a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's so. never, never too late to learn. Once, that is so. true. <laughs> You know, they say it's very good for the brain. So Yes. Although I feel like it's tricky living in a country where I only have to speak English. Because yes. yes. I have no practice. Yes. Yeah. And and even overseas, so many people speak English, you know, and it's such a 
uh, in some ways a handicap because you can't we really got to work hard to yeah well I found when I was living in Europe they were like no matter what country I was in they were more eager to speak English because they wanted to practice so it never gave me the opportunity to actually like learn German (laughs) yes yeah oh that's so true yeah yeah it's a a definite minus but you know uh, even learning a little bit is helpful yeah yeah it's true yeah so we are going to talk about leadership because you are mm-hmm. doing your master's in leadership, correct? Yes. Well, technically, the degree is intercultural studies uh, through Fuller Theological Seminary. Okay. Uh, but obviously, inherent in that is actually an assumption that the people coming to the degree are in some way leading in some capacity. Hmm. Often in churches or para- parachurch ministry, uh, or sometimes uh, also in combination with uh, workplace um, outreach or ministry in their particular fields. Um, so my classmates are in a huge variety of, of contexts, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm, uh, I chose this particular program. Um, but also why I'm enjoying it, because literally we I have classmates from all over the globe and they're involved in all kinds of things. So hmm. I get to hear from their perspectives also. I did a, an intercultural, it was called mm-hmm. Developing Intercultural Competency class at Tyndale this month, actually. So it's for my master's. Ah, and. Yes, yes. And I loved it. Like there were 15 mm-hmm. of us in the class and not mm-hmm. one of us had the same kind of background like we were culturally mm-hmm. diverse experientially diverse like mm-hmm. life stage everything yeah. was so diverse yeah. and there'd yeah. be times that I would like walk into like a small group discussion being like yeah mm-hmm. I'm pretty set on my opinion here and then someone else would have a completely different opinion and I was like oh my mm-hmm. word like I never even considered because yes. there's yeah. just such a broad range of yes. thinking and I like I love that like being challenged mm-hmm. Because like otherwise in the North American culture, we can get so narrow or no matter what Mm -hmm. culture you're in, you can get narrow in your own thinking. But yeah. Yeah. So the diversity of classmates is so amazing. Yes. Yes. Um, And we need that. We need that. You know. Yeah. Like you say, so that you don't become too insular or just not realize that there are all kinds of other experiences in the world. Yeah. Um, so when I had initially chatted with you about coming on here to talk about leadership, you said that you don't define yourself as a quote unquote classic leader. So, and that you don't like fit into that. So why, why do you say that you don't fit into like the quote unquote classic leader and like, maybe like, what are, what are the different types of leaders that you might see out there beyond just like the classic uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it is funny. I did laugh when I read your uh, invitation to share <laughs> and and was hit with the uh, imposter syndrome. But um, <laughs> on the other hand, I realized, well, no, there are different ways of leading, you know, and different, um, yeah, different types of leaders. So I think when I think of the classical leader, or the typical leader that comes to mind, it's sort of, especially in the field of cross-cultural ministry it's you think of pioneers and visionaries that go you know to use the star trek go where no one has gone before right um that's what i think comes to mind the typical leader um but uh there are others that uh, 
that I'm realizing, especially the category I think I fit into more is Barnabas type of leaders. Um, I think Paul fits into the visionary pioneering category. He was definitely that kind of leader. Um, but Barnabas had this uh, amazing ability, I think, to see the potential in people mm-hmm. and be able to cultivate that and, and put that forward and encourage that, perhaps even at the expense of any sort of uh, visibility on that person's part. I mean, I remember one of my profs pointing out that when the Paul and Barnabas's names first appear in scripture, it's actually Barnabas and Paul for a while, and then it switches. And in that type of context, that indicates a change in hierarchy in terms of who's the one taking charge of that particular, and that in their case, uh, a trip or a, an outreach. Um, so Barnabas seems to have been willing to say, okay, Paul, you have now surpassed me in this particular area. You go ahead. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a huge amount of humility that it takes to be able to lead in that way. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that I fit more in that category as trying to encourage other people. Um, you also can have leaders who are... Um, more maybe the manager types, something has been given to them, some either project organization, and they are able to keep it running faithfully. I think they provide stability, um, uh, structural stability. And this is one thing with uh, different type of leaders have different types of followers sometimes. Um, And I think there are those that feel comfortable following a visionary leader, into the unknown, into a very, what might be highly changeable, unpredictable situation. Um, Whereas there are others who really do need a lot of structure. They need a lot of, this is how we do things. This is our, these are our expectations. uh, And these are the things you need to do. And they're fairly stable and predictable. Uh, So people who are managers, I think um, are good for those type of people, you know, who need a bit more just stability and predictability. And Barnabas type leaders, I think, can be in a variety of, of situations. Um, so those are some of the different types that I've thought about uh, or noticed anyway. But it is important to be aware that there are even people in those different categories do lead differently, uh, having been under I'm sure you've seen this too, a variety of, of people. Each person has their own strengths. Hopefully they're continuing to grow, continuing to learn. And uh, and part of that is uh, both uh, uh, working into your strengths, but also being aware of your, your weaknesses so that you can uh, mm-hmm. mitigate for those or have others help you with those areas that you're not so great at. Mm-hmm. What was your journey in discovering that you were a Barnabas leader? Like, did you go through a journey of like testing out other ways of leading and then discovering it didn't work? Or did someone call out in you that you were a Barnabas type of leader? Or what was your journey like to settle into that? Right. Um, oh, I think a small series of realizations along the way. Our first work in our... Um, 
excuse me, in our ministry was uh, being a part of a team doing linguistic research. And I realized how much our team leader was, uh, he was a good leader. He was a very good leader. And, you know, as with any leaders, you have your, uh, your, your strengths and the things that are not, not as strong. Uh, but he was very good at sort of, uh, in some ways, <laughs> making us dive off the deep end. Um, but we, we had to travel to different uh, areas where uh, language groups lived. And he right away put us in charge of, okay, choose the areas you want to be in charge of in terms of which language groups. You're in charge of the, all of the trip planning, all of the research and preparation for trips. You're in charge on the trip. And here we thought, you know, I remember thinking, what? <laughs> I have never done this before. And you're putting me in charge of a trip. He did one, the first one he did. Um, because he had been doing research on that people group and had visited them before, so we could see it once. <laughs> but I'm the type of person who who uh, feels quite inadequate for a long time, and even in being put in those positions of leading trips, I totally felt inadequate. Uh, but this is what God does, you know. He meets us right where we feel inadequate. He reminded me that he had brought me there. Um, and so God was using that, I think, to push me forward through our team leader and the things that he put us in charge of. Um, <clears throat> I think more recently, um, well, even in that experience, uh, we had another team, a member join later on. And so others on the team who had been longer were trying to um, help her settle in and different things like that. And I remember she said to me once when we went on a trip, just the two of us, she said, I feel safe with you. I feel that, you know, even if, I mean, and we went through some uncertain things on trips. She said, I feel that we'll figure it out, you know. Hmm. And um, I have seen that I, I don't know why or how, but somehow people do feel safe. And I've had people, um, this even happened when we first moved to Albania. The first year we homeschooled our two little ones. And so we would take them to the park and we'd sit in the park. And I knew almost next to nothing about Albanian. And these old ladies would come sit next to me and start chatting. And, you know, I could pick up some of the things they were talking about. But somehow, like, why would they feel safe sitting next to me and pouring out whatever was in their hearts? I don't know why. But, um... I think I'm recognizing that this is part of uh, what God, how God has made me and uh, to, I used to sort of bemoan that I was so quiet. Um, you know, I'm more, I was definitely very shy in middle school and slightly less so in high school. But um, even when Calvin met me <laughs> shortly after I graduated from university, he also felt that I was quite quiet. Um, but God has used that, I think, because it opens spaces for other people to be able to share or uh, be, just be and not feel that someone is taking up all the space mm -hmm. in a conversation or in a, in a social setting. Um, so I'm learning. I think that that's what God wants to use to encourage other people is to be someone that others feel safe with. Mm. And they, they know that they can 
come and and I'm amazed at how many times it does happen that someone comes. I felt I could talk to you. They'll say I felt that I could share this, and I'm very. I'm very humbled that people would come to me with some of the things that they want to share. But mm. if I can be a safe person, I think I would, I would consider that as a success in terms of leading other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so good to distinguish that that is a way of leading as well. Like it yeah. doesn't have to be the, the loudest person in the room taking charge yeah. Though, like, as you said, that is a form, but to be that person who attentively listens to other people, pays attention to them, that can, that's like as profound in leading as the other. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. I think that's amazing. And that, the whole aspect of listening is something I'm realizing is very important for leadership. Uh, and this came up in the mentoring class I've taken for my degree. I think that was a very, because my type of leadership task is mentoring others. So that course especially was very influential for me. Um, but realizing a good mentor, a good leader listens to God, uh, listens to other people, and they listen to the text also. Uh, and all that is, that listening is for discernment. You know, what What is God doing here and what does he want me to encourage? Who does he want me to encourage? How do um, how do I, as you, you know, you mentioned that encouraging is giving sort of heart strength to other people. Um, and that, uh, that's, you can't do that without listening. Well, okay. Let's unpack that a little bit more because I'm a big believer in the art of listening and that it is a muscle that is not used very often. Um, and so I've been trying to lean into it more of like, how do you listen well and not only just like listen to what people are saying to kind yes. of remember what they're telling you but how do you listen for what's going beneath the like what are they not saying what's below the surface that you can pick up on based on what they're saying and how they're acting so what have you learned along the way in terms of how to listen well like are there certain questions that you ask yourself while you're listening to someone or while you're listening to god um yeah what's Give us, lead us in how (laughs) to listen better. Uh, Yes. Uh, I always find thinking of questions during conversation actually a big challenge, but that is a big part of listening also is knowing, okay, what is the question now to be asked? Uh, This is something that has uh, struck me also about how God has dealt with humanity, with individual people. If you look in scripture, I mean, the first thing he does after the fall is go find Adam and Eve and ask them some questions, right? And it's not accusatory. You know, he's trying to lead them in process of acknowledging what's happened and how do we move forward. Um, another, uh, or one, um, the stories of Hagar in Genesis have also been very impactful lately for me. And God does the same with Hagar as well is when she runs away from Sarah. Hagar, where are you going? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, asking these questions. So I think that's part of how you get at what is happening underneath, what people are sharing. Um, The other thing is just being quiet, (laughs) not saying anything. I've been surprised how many times I'm thinking, okay, what should I ask now, you know, or what should I say? And it, it takes me, I'm slow, right? So <laughs> it takes me some time. But in that silence, people often 
start saying something else that is either deeper or or more you know yeah going in more details what they want to share it's it's the uh, the power move of like counselors. They always pause a little bit a little bit longer than you want them to, and they always get you talking. <laughs> the power of the pause. Yeah, power of the pause. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So those, I mean, those are the two things that, that come to mind. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, though, too, I just think of it in terms of cross-cultural ministry is that the nonverbal signals are different from culture to culture. Um, so if we are leading people who are in a, from a different background, uh, they might be communicating something that you may not catch because your way of interpreting nonverbals is different. So uh, this is also something to keep in mind, especially as our world gets more uh you know, mixed, we are in, often in context more and more that have a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wanted um, to go there, actually, in terms of how you found leading in different contexts. Because, uh-huh. like, in North America, we're a very direct culture, whereas um, probably more Asian countries are more indirect, and some are more confrontational, and some are not are less confrontational. Um, so what has been your experience leading in those different contexts? Like, is it just for you an understanding of culture and how you have to kind of conform to what's normal or, um, yeah, like as you're mentoring people cross-culturally, do you have to lead people differently if they're from different contexts? Right, right. uh, I would say, yes, you do. But a big part of it, especially if you're from, you know, obviously you're in different cultures, uh, if you're in a ministry context where there are different people working alongside each other, um, you do have to try to clarify expectations or other things, especially expectations, uh, as much as you can. And uh, I mean, to our advantage, that's a more direct thing than other cultures might be comfortable with, uh, depending, but it always it's useful to to say outright, okay, I'm from this culture, and I will communicate this way, you know, and if it's uncomfortable for you, for example, um, just know it's not personal. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I think certainly for me, working alongside Calvin, my husband, is that we are sounding boards for each other, because we'll be, if we're in a situation, and you know, something's happened and we know there's something going on that we're not maybe catching right away, uh, then we might sit down and try, okay, what was going on there? Maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And having another person to bounce things off of, and that, that also helps try to interpret what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, for the for mentoring the same people from Latin America, they're a lot more communal overall than those of us from North America, Anglo backgrounds, right? Who are much more individualistic. So uh, for myself, I feel, okay, I need to recognize, pay attention to, uh, do people feel that they are part of the group uh, and just making sure no one feels that they're out on their own or, uh, somehow not connected to other people. I think that's been very important. Um, 
they are going into contexts where they may feel that. And so we've had to say, you may at times really feel isolated if you're somewhere and there's only a small team of you. Uh, but at the same time, as much as we can, help them feel that they are they are connected either to one another. Um, I think I, I have seen in different cultures how communal people, um, you know, work hard to solve conflict, often indirectly, but they are a lot, I think in our individualistic culture, we're very much about, okay, I'm, this is who I am, this is what I need, and there's less flexibility to change some of those things for the sake of others compared to some of the cultures that we've been in. I've observed people, remember training this group of English teachers um, in the Caucasus, and they, uh, it's a small group of maybe eight people when we were crammed in a room, and, and one lady was sort of the older one in the group, and she was a little bit annoyed with the young guy next to her and expressed it. Well, uh, what happened is everyone got up in the group and rearranged themselves, so they didn't have to sit next to each other. Uh, and I then, this is the Holy Spirit helping, I then decided, okay, we're going to do an activity where it's sort of people reflecting on their own for now, less talking. If she's getting annoyed by someone talking, then maybe we'll do something else, right? But just the fact that the whole room felt like we all need to adjust in order to help these two not be so annoyed with each other. I don't see that happening in North America. It would be those two have a problem. They need to work it out. It has nothing to do with us. But just realizing that a lot of these communal cultures, they do have the sense of, okay, this is the group. How do we as a group solve this issue or this this conflict? And um, for me, that's been a learning point. You know, Am I willing to be that flexible with others or provide that kind of flexibility when people need it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think also speaking of leading communal people is I think, um, and I'm an introvert, so this is a sort of double whammy for me. Uh, I'm fine going a longer time between seeing people, but I'm realizing, no, they need a lot of connection, contact. You know, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Let's get together. Let's have lunch together. You know, go out for coffee together, etc. And uh, uh, that is something that I see that need, I need to adjust to that. Be mm. willing to have more personal and social connection mm-hmm. so that they feel led. <laughs> yeah. So there must be this, like, this idea of holding that tension of your own personal well-being because like as an introvert you will need to recharge on your own but also holding that intention with this is what the community needs and this is what is kind of like what I need to do to lead well there's that like tension it's a little bit of a dance almost of where to lean in Hmm. I also really liked your point about um like expectations and communicating those uh I, I'm terrible at like expressing kind of what I like expectations at all. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I have never really, well, not, not often am challenged by like what I expect because I'm just in a North American culture and that's very normal for me. And so a lot of what I expect, you know, some, some other people expect as well. 
Um, and so I'm not always aware of what those expectations are. Where I find if you're if you're forced into a context of people have different expectations, which like happens here as well, but I, if we're talking cross culturally, it's way more dramatic. I feel like yes, yes, um, yes. it it has forced me, even if just the few experiences that I've had, to actually step back and realize, oh, my experiences and how I've been raised and the culture that I'm in has shaped what I expect, yes, and I need yes. to pause and actually reflect on that, and uh, and that's a good thing, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Very much so. And we usually, when we have our training of these folks who are also going to be working cross-culturally, that's what we start with is you have to be aware that you have expectations. And often, especially cross-culturally, you some of those you can articulate, some of them you don't know you have them until they're not met. And then how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about that, uh, managing all the frustration, anger... <laughs> <laughs> the whole range of emotions. <laughs> yes, the whole range. And say, you know, and reassure them that it's normal to feel that way. Yeah. So what you expect, but then how do you manage those things? Yeah. Um, so that you come through on the other side um, with resilience and openness to learning, rather than shutting down. Yep. One of my mentors has challenged me in that to say, like, when you notice, you know, that frustration come up in you pause and actually notice it identify it and then figure out what's going on and then yes. be able to articulate it otherwise you'll just go through life and never be forced to articulate what your expectations are what you're wanting and um but the pause to actually figure that out is a really important reflection mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so okay let's talk about um practices do you find in leading in your study of leadership in your experience that there are good things that leaders do and that things they practice that set them apart from other people mm -hmm. yes give us some examples uh, some examples uh in my mentorship class uh we had to do a lot of reflection on the people that have led us our experiences with leaders uh with leading uh, and I realized in that that our I mentioned our first team leader, uh, so shout out to John Clifton <laughs> and his wife Debbie. Um, but John was the one that was training us for that particular role, and I realized that one of his biggest strengths was in what my mentoring prof called uh, creating grace environments. So these uh, environments in which people are allowed to grow, to make mistakes to learn from them uh, and and processing through people, um, processing with people what they are going through to help them uh, continue to grow. And I realized he was very good at that. As I said, mm -hmm. he sort of threw us in the deep end. But there was never that I recall the sort of feeling of, oh, yeah, that's a terrible mistake you made or, or this um, feeling of censure or judgment. It was like, yeah, that didn't go so well, uh, you know, or what did you, well, first of all, he would ask us what we thought went well and didn't go well. And then he might either affirm that or, or say, well, but, you know, maybe it's not as bad as you think. Uh, I think that process of reflection with us was very important for us understanding um, what was, you know, what we were doing well and not doing so well, uh, because we were in rather complex situations in a variety of uh, 
settings, you know, with all kinds of people from uh, governors to school directors and hospital uh, directors to groups of regular people, quote unquote, and different people groups. But as I said, he, I mean, he taught me how to drive a stick shift van while we were doing all of this. <laughs> and as I said, he, he just was quite laid back about, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, it's normal to make that kind of mistake, or this is, this is a mistake I made. And I think that's the other thing that, that good leaders do is that they do share um, from their own experience. Uh, that has helped me view, I think, my current role uh, in that light, because I, uh, you know, they want to learn not just, <coughs> excuse me, some sort of knowledge or data or whatever, but they want to learn from us. What did we learn? Mm-hmm. Um, how did we grow and develop? Um, so good leaders are able to, to do that, share that, their experiences. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've talked about listening. I think that's a huge thing. Uh, for good leaders, and they have to get listeners. Um, and then also with that, something that I need to keep working on is follow through, which is part of good communication. But I think I can start a mentorship relationship very strong, and you know, f- first few meetings going well, etc. But it can, if I'm not careful, peter out, or there's this ambiguity about are we done here yet, or not, or that's happened on a few occasions. And, Um, so I've realized, okay, I need to be much more explicit about saying, okay, this is something we're doing for the next few months, six months, couple years, uh, and this is what we will do in that time, so that it's up front and they know and I know what we're where we're headed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something that I'm still working on. But the good leaders do do that. And one thing in the mentorship class that they talked about that I also was impressed with together with this is even if you've not had a very good experience together, it is still good to bring closure to it because that uh, reflection together of, oh, you know what, this mentorship relationship, maybe it didn't go so well as we hoped. Why not? How could it have gone differently? Mm -hmm. Then it's a learning point for both the leader and the mentee mm-hmm. and uh yeah so yeah. i find that very useful to keep in mind yeah one of my favorite um like christian leaders that i follow she uh i think she's quoting someone else but um really leaning into how clarity is kindness and how we need mm-hmm. to be clear in our communication because that is more kind than being unclear and i've always it's, been challenged by that I'm like yeah it's, it's true cool. sometimes being clear means you have to say the hard thing and yeah. that is being more kind than not saying anything at all. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And I also love how you leaned into the reflection piece. I think, I think reflection is a really important part of life. And I think a leader can really only lead others in reflection if they do it themselves. Um, yeah. I remember a couple months ago, one of the uh, girls that I was mentoring Um, she's like, you always ask us really reflective questions as like a bit of a kind of like a loving jab a bit. And I actually was like, I take that as a huge compliment because I'm like, yeah, reflection is so good and so important for us. And I'm, I'm glad to ask the reflective questions that I ask myself over to you because it's good to reflect. And that's the only way that we can grow 
is if mm-hmm. we actually yeah. like take stock of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. So with all that, um, when I, so I've had conversations with people who I think perceive leadership to be this like status. I just want to do it for like the achievement and the success and the fame and all that sort of stuff without actually realizing that leadership is a very courageous thing. Like it's not it's not simple and it's not easy. And, and they also say that like leading yourself is the hardest thing. Um, (laughs) Then there's leading people, which is also complicated and all that sort of stuff. So why do you think like, what's for you, if you could articulate it, what is the courageous side of leadership that you've experienced? Mm -hmm. Yes. Lots of courage needed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, First is maybe the, the courage to accept when others are looking to you for leadership, uh, I oh, think interesting. with these interns, I realized they're not just—they're not just thinking of us as repositories of information, but they see us as people with experience, and they want to learn from us, and they want us to direct them in terms of helping them grow. Uh, so it takes—it's <laughs> one of those things. Uh, you sort of look is it is it me you look behind you is it me they're looking at or someone else you know (laughs) but you realize yes they're looking at me and yes I am the older generation older than them anyway Uh, and that puts me especially in a lot of these cultures that are they do have respect for age so as soon as you're older you are viewed as someone they can learn from which is rather intimidating. <laughs> but then then it takes the courage to seize that and say, okay, what can I share? What can I teach? How can I encourage? Um, encourage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I think good leaders, this comes back to what is a good leader, and they also share the mistakes that they made. And this is something I specifically felt the Holy Spirit challenging me to do uh so in some of our teaching sessions i mean it's a literal poke from the spirit okay share about that no don't make me look bad (laughs) but uh you know hopefully obeying and certainly trying to obey the spirit say okay i will share and i realize when i do that for uh, for one it puts them at ease that they feel like okay I can have courage to <laughs> and make mistakes. It will not be the end of the world. Uh, and in fact, often others have chimed in. It's connected to something that they've experienced and they've realized, oh, okay, I've had an experience like that uh, also. So they even talk about, we talked about reflection, you know, and being reflective. That helps them reflect on their own experience. And we've seen them sort of have light bulbs go off or connections made. Uh, that helps them move forward. Um, so yeah, in general, that has been something that the spirit has challenged me not to be sharing uh, my own struggles or, you know, just uh, not necessarily even mistakes, but also that, oh yes, I have also felt stress, frustration, Mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. I've had these same experiences, so it's normal. It's good. You can, you know, you get through it too. Yeah. Yeah. And those experiences definitely put people, at ease. I know like some of the, the leaders that I would 
kind of sit alongside a little bit more in terms of wanting to learn from. It's the people who share uh, their mistakes and their frustrations and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's relatable. So what have been like maybe one or two kind of formative moments for you, whether it be the mistakes, you can go there if you want or not, <laughs> um, or other moments that have, when you look back, you're like, that was a pivotal moment for me in my own leadership. Yeah. Um, some, you know, some of them I've shared is realizations about who God has made me, um, uh, but I think uh, also uh, being put in this particular role of mentoring others has been very, uh, in itself, pushed me further along uh, in my own leadership um, and really seeing how putting in, investing in the next generation of cross-cultural workers is really a part of my calling. Um, and, and I think part of it that has helped me realize that is doing these studies at the same time, because we've had to articulate, what do you feel the Lord is equipping you for? Uh, what is he calling you to? Uh, and realizing this is very much it. <laughs> I thankfully to be doing the thing that you feel the Lord is leading you towards. That's very encouraging. Um, uh, yeah, so that has been important for me I think also reflecting back at you know there are moments when and in, uh, in previous teams I did not do such a good job of caring for others uh, and realizing I, I maybe I should have listened to what sometimes you have an internal feeling oh I need to call someone or I need to check up on someone and then either you get too busy or 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 you just say, no, I think they'll be okay, you know. And then you find out later, they really could have used a phone call or touching base, you know. Mm -hmm. And so those have been convicting moments for me when I've realized, okay, no, you need to, you do need to pay attention. And often, I do think this is the help of the Holy Spirit. He can, he can often say or in bring someone to mind or bring your attention, my attention to someone that maybe needs. Uh, to be connecting uh, with me. Uh, so, yeah, those, it's not any sort of one moment, you know, there are a few that I guess come to mind. Um, but that has helped me in this role, I think, to realize, okay, I need to be attentive. I need to be attentive mm -hmm. to those, that, certainly those that I am mentoring. Um, yeah. I, I heard a great line uh they said it in um, the sermon at church yesterday, and I forget who they quoted, but it's they said, attention is the rarest and most genuine form of generosity. Like giving attention to people is being generous. And I, it struck me so deep and I'm like, yes, giving someone your undivided attention or paying attention to like the nudge from the Holy Spirit to call and then following up on it is like the rarest and most yeah. genuine form of uh, generosity to other people. And I thought that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you know, uh, uh, my mom is an example in that. She's very 
attentive to others and uh, you know reaching out to others when yeah. she feels the the nudging. Um, and that's really when you're with her, she's paying attention to you. Yeah. Also, and that really is an act of courageous leadership in a way because sometimes you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit that you're like, nah, that doesn't sound very fun. Um, like it's a risk. It is a courageous thing to listen. Or you hear someone say something and they have a need, but you're like, ah, oh, do I really like want to enter into that? It is a courageous act of leadership to actually enter in and pay attention to it and follow through, not just be like, oh yeah, that's a great thing that you said, or yeah, Holy Spirit, I recognize you nudged, but I'm not going to do anything. It's the, the courageous thing is to actually follow through. Yeah. Okay. Give us some of your, now that I've just said a quote, um, give us some of your favorite leadership quotes that you really lean on. Um, I think, well, it's funny because one really uh, came to mind, although I think it's actually perhaps a paraphrase, but I don't know if you've read Andrew Murray's book on humility. No, I haven't. Uh, we, we read it for part of our train, part of my training as a language and culture coach. Um, it's the book we had to read, but, uh, the basic idea is, uh, the way up is down, uh, emphasizing, humility right and yeah. this is this is the way that is not at all like the world although uh certain spheres of of you know secular life or whatever for example business are discovering the benefits of something like servant leadership um but it is an upside down sort of view that uh we are to be leading uh, and it's not, I think in our culture, we tend to equate sort of if you're maybe serving that you're somehow have less authority. And so it's hard for us to sort of put those two together. Yes, you can have the authority of a leader or a position uh, as a leader. But as we follow Christ's example, uh, we are to be ready to serve. Uh, and in that also, you know, Philippians to the passage on Christ being willing to give up his um, identity as divine, you know, God. He was still God and he was still divine. But the sort of recognition that he had uh, was not there anymore. He was willing to give that up. Uh, that to me is a big challenge is, uh, yeah, to be willing to not have the recognition or not have the attention or um yeah those things um, that one might seek in a leadership position those are actually can be pitfalls for us if we're not careful you know because we are we are working under a different leader <laughs> leadership right yeah um the uh, that quote is very barnabas like i have to say <laughs> yes, he's, he's an example of someone who did that. You know, that's yeah. willing to let someone else go forward. Yeah, and they could just encourage from behind. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, and I don't know. I don't know if I have any more other pithy quotes. I was trying to think of more pithy quotes, but that was the one that was that was that was in my mind. And I think the stories of scripture, especially the stories of how Jesus led, mm. are often. Uh, very uh, 
instructive and have much to offer us. Uh, I do find it interesting that um, God has given us those stories for a reason. It's not just, here's your manual, here's your five points, these are the aspects you need to keep in mind. But we have these stories that help us see it in practice, mm. uh, which I find, I think, are more interesting <laughs> than a list of do's and don'ts, <laughs> which he could have, God could have easily done that way, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a beautiful segue. Great job. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions I ask everybody that I interview, uh, kind of as we wrap up, is what is a story or a person in the Bible that you tend to gravitate towards? So is there like a story of Jesus that you're like, that is the story that I hold to in terms of like how I lead or could be something totally well, different as well. But well, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the stories of Jesus are very, very illuminating. I mentioned Hagar. So that's one that lately certainly has been on my mind. Uh, especially, um, it really, they're really the stories of what God is doing and what is actually a rather dysfunctional and messy family situation when you have Abraham and Sarah. Sarah does not like this new situation of Hagar having a, uh, a child with her husband, which actually was a common practice. I mean, we see that with um, Jacob and his wives and their servants, right? Um, but it's just a very complicated situation. And then enters God and on two occasions uh, and, you know, ministers to Hagar, touches her to the point where she's willing to go back to Sarah, who was abusing her. I mean, that to me is incredible. And then beyond that, she, well, she feels enough comfort and is also, we find, giving God a name, uh, the one who sees me. Um, that's amazing. God, God would let her name him based on her experience of him as someone who had heard her, who had seen her, who knew the situation. So to me, it's a picture of God's compassion, um, his attentiveness, right? Um, the other story, especially working cross-culturally for me, is Paul in Athens uh, in Acts 17. Uh, where he goes and is um, sharing with the Athenians. Um, it is, it's a very good model that I keep coming back to. Is how are you to uh, be and share in a context where there may not be any knowledge at all about who Yahweh, the Hebrew God, is, who is you know, Jesus, certainly. They wouldn't have known anything about that. But... Um, he went in and he investigated and he found the connection and he used the connections when he talked to people and he quoted from their own poets. Uh, so that to me is a challenge. Okay, when you come into a culture, do I learn about this culture, connect with the people in it uh, enough so that I can begin to share based on those points of connection? Um, I don't know how much that has to do with leadership directly, except that I encourage my mentees to do the same thing, uh, to be attentive to yeah. Um, learning. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's one thing we're really trying to instill in the folks that we lead and mentors that uh, openness to learning their whole lives. Hmm. Uh, that's very important. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's so good. And I, I love that part about how like recognizing that, you know, Paul used the, the poets and, you know, like understood the culture to actually be able to relate to the people that he was interacting with in, in a way that they would understand. Uh, I think that's so, that's so good. And I never picked up on that. Um, so that's really cool. Okay. Final question for you. Are you ready for this? <laughs> How would you define the word courage? <laughs> it can be a five bullet point definition. It could be a story. <laughs> yes. Uh, in uh, Azerbaijani, one of the languages I know, to encourage means to give heart support as in, you know, when you have a pillar. Mm -hmm. So giving your heart that support to then be able to do what you need to do, right? Uh, so I do picture it that way as encouraging, giving people that, lifting other people up. Uh, and some of it, that's directly related to leadership, is that you're always in relation to other people, is trying to build them up. You're trying to encourage them, giving them uh, the the courage through your words, through your attitudes, uh, for them to be able to then do what uh, they want to do and be who they who they are made to be uh, in Christ. Um, I think also it's for myself willingness to uh, trust the trust God. I think that's courage. Uh, I it's interesting that your focus is courage in this podcast and. Um, I have often struggled with fear, often struggled with uh, just not feeling brave enough to do things, you know, and I do, I think that a big part of my journey that the Lord is working on is trying to break me from that fear and not feeling that I have to give in to that, but mm -hmm. that he is there to help me to whatever it is, uh, be it a difficult situation or a challenging uh, task. Uh, or something that he wants to be building in me. Hmm. Um, that requires just trusting that he can he can do that. He can be in charge of that process. I don't have to be in charge of it myself. Mm -hmm. You've used the uh, building analogy a lot today in terms of like <laughs> God building in you, how we can build yes. up others. Yeah. So it's a beautiful metaphor in terms of courageous living, but courageous leadership in general. So. Well, Dabby, thank you for being on the Courage 2 podcast and for sharing thank you for having me. Yeah, your yeah. experience and wisdom and what you're learning is definitely an encouragement to me and hopefully an encouragement wow. to others listening. So thank you I for taking so. the time. Yeah. Yes. Very glad. Thank you for yes. for inviting me and chatting. Uh, you you do uh, the questions very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> questions yes <laughs> it's part of the reason I started the podcast is I wanted yeah. to exercise asking better questions so as we were talking yeah. about like good leadership practices asking good questions yes. it's a it's a muscle so it's been yeah. fun to practice it so yeah well all the best in the rest of your studies and uh, you. doing your work in Albania I'm sure it's beautiful over there so it is a little chilly at the <laughs> yeah, it's pretty chilly here too, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on here with us. 